So here in 2 Corinthians 4, we're you know, picking things up in verse 7 where, where Paul has been laying out this incredible, great ministry that he's had a chance to be a part of. He's talked about that in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And so remember, Paul's saying that coming out of chapter three, where we looked at the old covenant versus the new covenant. The old covenant led to death. New covenant leads to life. There's a fabulous work that comes into play through the work in the new covenant, through the work that Jesus has done in forgiving us of our sin, giving us life in him, eternal life, a promise to where Paul says, now we do not have to lose heart. Now there's going to be times in our lives where we can easily lose heart. We're gonna be bombarded by things that might cause us to rethink this and go, Paul, did you know the kinds of things that I'd be dealing with when you wrote this in verse one of chapter four? Do you know what we would be having to deal with in the 21st century where, you know, this losing heart business? I don't know. Paul's gonna take us through these paradoxical principles now in our passage here this morning that's gonna look at some of the things that he's indeed gone through and experienced to where he can say, no, we don't have to lose heart. We can keep moving forward because of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives and who he is for us today. So notice what Paul says here in verse seven. He says this, for or but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Now I want you to notice something right away here. What does Paul say? He says, we have. He's not saying, this is something, guys, that I want you to get familiar with. This is something I want you to begin to search after. This is not something that we have to strive for or that we have to go on a treasure hunt and start digging up, trying to discover what this treasure is. Paul says, we have this treasure. We're not on a treasure hunt. We're, we have a treasure have here for us. This is something that we are to know. It's ours as children of God, as followers of Christ. We have this treasure in these earthen vessels. Have you recognized this rich treasure that's contained in you as believers? Now, some of you might be asking, well, what is this treasure you talk about? What are we dealing with when we talk about this treasure? This treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, it's the sweetness of the new covenant that we talked about in chapter three. It's the fact that we've been forgiven of our sin and not only forgiven, we've been cleansed. That sin has been removed from the old covenant. You continually had to go in through the sacrificial system and you continually had to repeat those things because your sin was never fully removed. But now in and through Christ, we are forgiven and cleansed and made white as snow to where now we have a right standing with God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No longer carrying the burden of the law, but we have freedom and liberty in the life that Jesus has given us now. That's something to rejoice in. This is a treasure that Paul is dealing with and talking about here for us. He had just finished saying in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Look at verse 6 there. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, this light now, this glorious light, the work of what God has done for us in and through Jesus is shining in our hearts. This treasure has been placed within us. We have a great, incredible, rich treasure within us 
because of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the power of the gospel that we have in him. Look at what Paul would say in Ephesians 3, verse 8, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's not saying this is unsearchable in the way that you're just probably not gonna find it. They don't even bother. It's, it's just, you can't, you can't search for it. It's just too lofty, it's too out there. It's not unsearchable in that way. He means that this is inexhaustible, that you can continue to press in with Jesus and discover the richness of Christ day by day. It'll never grow old. You'll never exhaust it. You'll keep discovering the beauty and the richness of Jesus Christ. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul said what this richness really is in Colossians 1 verse 27 when he said, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It doesn't get any more rich than that. You see, the Old Testament saints are all looking at us going, man, I can't believe you all get to experience that. We longed for it. We had to bring sacrifices after sacrifices. And even then we couldn't go into the tabernacle or the temple of God to where the presence of God would be seen and known. We didn't get to, that, to see that. But not only do you guys get brought in, you get the, 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 the Lord Jesus Christ planted in you the hope of glory. You get to experience God dwelling, not among you, but now in you. How good is that? That's what Paul says is so rich and wonderful. This is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles. It's a mystery, not because it's unknown, but because it was unknown in the Old Testament and now it's been made known in and through Jesus Christ that we'd have God dwelling with us or in us through Jesus Christ, the hope of glory. What a treasure, my friends. How good is this? Now, it's remarkable that God has given us this treasure. That's enough for us to just be like, wow, thank you, Lord. But what's also remarkable is now the container that he uses to hold this treasure, right? Because if you had something of great value, you're typically going to place that in something that's gonna be very secure and solid, that's gonna be worthy kind of of the treasure that you're putting in it, right? You don't just typically, you know, take a, a wad of cash and just stick it in an envelope and just, you know, leave it on the dashboard of your car, right? If you do, please don't do it. Or give me your license plate number. Actually, maybe that will be helpful. Let me know what car you're driving. Um, but typically that's not what we're gonna do. We're gonna secure that. And so when you look at this, you go, Lord, you've put this treasure now, this amazing treasure that we've seen is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work he's done for us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you put it now in earthen vessels. We go, that doesn't seem to compute. This doesn't seem to add up. This seems to be really odd that you would do that. Now, the picture here is actually of like clay pots, right? Clay pots. That's the idea. And, and people in this day, they would have no shortage of clay pots in their home. That was a, a common vessel that would be used to, to put stuff in, but usually not valuable stuff because these clay pots would get kind of worn. They would, they would break. They would become very disposable actually because of that. So there was actually little value in a clay pot. Yet we're reading here that this is what God chose to put such an awesome treasure in. Why would he do that? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons why God chose earthen vessels, which are you and me, 
to put a valuable treasure in. Why would he do so? First of all, I think it's so that we cannot boast in the fact that we have anything to do with God receiving glory. We, we cannot come along and say, listen, look at me. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how wonderful I am. This just adds to the, the glory of God. No, we, we do nothing to add to it. We do nothing to, to contribute to that. No one was attracted to the gospel because we were so glorious. We don't come along as these valuable vases and go, oh, look it. It's all just kind of lining up with the treasure. No, we have nothing to offer. You would think that, you know, God would maybe consider using angels to be the deliverers of so great a gospel. I mean, that'd be majestic. That would be awe-inspiring to see angels coming down and preaching this, this word. We'd all, we'd all be like, whoa, man. That's amazing, that's, that's worth listening to. We gotta really check that out. We probably move into angel worship and everything like that, but, but he chose us. Nobody's gonna be tempted to move into, you know, Brent worship, right? Y'all look at me and go, there's nothing to worship about that guy. We don't, we don't fall prey, or we shouldn't at least, fall prey to worshiping one another. We're just earthen vessels. And the reason God puts his treasure in earth and vessels is as he says in verse seven, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. That the greatness, the majesty of the power of God or might be of God and not of us. That when you see the work of the gospel and the good news of the gospel and the work that Jesus does, nobody can say, oh, it's because of that earth and vessel. No, all we can say is, no, obviously it's got nothing to do with me, look at me. It's the treasure that we are containing that we want to share with others. J.H. Jowett said this. There's something wrong when the vessel robs the treasure of its glory. When the casket attracts more attention than the jewel which it bears, there is a very perverse emphasis when the picture takes second place to the frame. And when the ware which is used at the feast becomes a substitute for the meal. There's something deadly in Christian service when the excellency of the power is of us and not of God. Such excellency is of a very fleeting kind and it will speedily wither as the green herb and pass into oblivion. If we're presenting ourselves as the means to this great glory or as contributors to the excellency of the power of God through the gospel, then we're robbing God of that and it comes to nothing. It's gonna wither away into oblivion as this author said so well. We have to be so careful that we're not trying to present this treasure in a manner where we're shining brighter than it is. If a person walks away impressed with a preacher rather than the message, something is off. So first of all, God uses us as earthen vessels to contain this treasure so that we can't boast in the fact that we have anything to do with God receiving glory. Secondly, it's so that we can't contain this glorious treasure. You see, earthen vessels are very fragile. We get easy broken, we leak, we're a bunch of crackpots, you and I. <laughs> it's true, look around. But you see, this is serving a purpose, my friends, because it's meant to allow the contents of the riches of God to flow out all the more. If we're secure containers, we can be tempted to just keep that all within. But now as earthen vessels, we get a little bit leaky. Reminds me of a story. A water bearer in India had two large pots, each hung on a, 
end of a pole that hung on the water bearer's neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, and while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water at the end of the long walk from the stream to the master's house, the cracked pot, however, arrived only half full. For two years, this went on daily with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots of water to his master's house. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of its accomplishments, perfect to the end for which it was made. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. The cracked pot said, I'm ashamed of myself and I wanna apologize to you. Well, why? asked the bearer. What are you ashamed of? I've been able for these past two years to deliver only half of my contents because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. Because of my flaws, you have to do all this work and you don't get full value from your efforts, the pot said. The water bearer felt sorry for the little cracked pot and his compassion, in his compassion he said, as we return to the master's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the old cracked pot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path. And that cheered it some, but at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it had leaked out half its load. And so again, it apologized to the bear for its failure. The bear said to the pot, did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of your path, but not on the others, other pot's side? That's because I've always known about your flaw and I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on your side of the path and every day while we walk back from this stream, you've watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers and decorate my master's table. Without you being just the way you are, he would not have this beauty to grace his house. And you see, each of us certainly have our unique flaws. We're all cracked pots. Bible says we're but dust, not, not but dust, but comma dust, just to be clear. Although, you know, I think both can maybe apply, it, I don't know, but let's just, we'll leave it. But if, see, here's the thing, if, you see, if we will allow it, the Lord uses our flaws to grace his table. In God's economy, nothing is wasted, guys. We get to be earthen vessels, leaky pots at times, so that the excellence may be of the power of God, not of ourselves, so that we can display this great, vast treasure that is within us. So we don't contain it up, we don't keep it for ourselves, we get to pass that on. And you see, we don't need our deficiencies to get in the way, to get us down. We don't need to let these things handicap or restrict us from thinking that we can be of any service to God. We might all look at ourselves and go, oh man, I'm just... I'm just a big ball of dust, man. What good am I going to do? And that's the point in and of yourself, nothing. That's the point. But when God works in you, when God allows that treasure within you to begin to be poured out, it's all directed to his glory and praise. It's not about you. It's about the praise and the glory of God being demonstrated in, in the gospel and how he takes dead people and he makes them new and he gives them life again. That's the point of the gospel. And we get to portray that and display that as earthen vessels. These clay pots are meant to be simple vessels. They get worn. They may be brittle and break easy, but it allows the contents then to be on greater display, don't they? And Paul mentions now some of the 
experiences that he's had by which he goes, you know what? I've lived this. I know what that's like. Because in my life, I've gone through the bumps and the, and the bruises. And I've seen this earthen vessel get at times worn or cracked. But it's been for the occasion to see God display his might and his power. And to see the gospel at work in and through lives. Notice what he says here as we continue on in verse 8. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So Paul lists for us here four ways in which the weakness of the vessel only allowed the power of God to be on greater display. Here's these, these paradoxical principles that we're gonna see. These seeming contradictions, but yet they allow us to see in our weakness, God is made strong. So Paul says, first of all, that he's what? He's hard pressed, all right? Hard pressed. Paul felt that squeeze many times in his life and he underwent great pressure. Remember we saw earlier in chapter one that uh, it's in our times of tribulation or thalipsis, which is what? This pressing. I'm sure we've all felt that at times. Now, Paul uses this word hard pressed in, in a different way. It's translated elsewhere in scripture as afflicted and as troubled. He uses this word troubled in chapter seven, verse five, when he says there, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. And that could be the idea of what Paul is meaning when he says that we're hard pressed on every side is that, man, we have felt the pressures coming. We have felt this affliction or being troubled from not only an external level coming against us, but also rolling up inside of us where we've begun to kind of wonder, stress, maybe be anxious about different things. We've been hard pressed on every side. Yet, notice this, though there was this pressure giving them that Anaconda squeeze and Nacho Libre fans, right? Is that ana any Nacho? Okay, man. It's literally that squeeze. He's feeling this, being hard pressed. Yet, what does he say? Yet, we're not crushed, okay? We're not crushed. It, it hasn't gotten to a point where it's just kind of zapped us uh, of life, where it's taking this from us. We're not, we're not um, you know, hindered from this. The power of God was still greater then there's seeming weakness and struggle. Power of God stepped in. That's the reality now as followers of Christ with this great treasure by which we have Christ in us, the hope of glory that we know whatever goes on in this world doesn't need to be the end of us. Paul says, we're hard pressed, but we're not crushed. Secondly, he says this, that we are perplexed. Now that's derived from two Greek words, the word for no, and then also the word for way. So in other words, Paul's saying there are times where we felt like there's just no way. We're, we're perplexed that we're at a loss in the sense of what to do. It's coming to a place where you do not have any solutions on how to get out of a predicament. Ever felt like that before? I'm sure many of us have, right? We're perplexed. We're like, God, why am I going through this? Why am I, I, I have no idea how I'm going to get through this. Yet what does Paul say? Yet we're not in despair. We're not in despair. It hasn't brought us to a point 
where we suddenly had to fear or freak out. He's always seen God provide a way out. I'm reminded of the nation of Israel when God's delivering them out of Egypt, right? And this great exodus, but what happens? God brings them right up to the Red Sea. Suddenly they look at the Red Sea and they feel they're trapped. They got mountains on either side of them. They got Pharaoh's army bearing down behind them. They feel like they are trapped and they begin to cry out and freak out. They are in despair. And they're saying, Moses, what's the matter with you? Some leader, you are, you brought us right here to our death, haven't you? My goodness. And they start freaking out. They're in great despair. But what is, what is God instruct Moses to say to the people? He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. There are times where we might be perplexed, but we never have to be in despair because God is at work and God wants to do a work leading us through. What happens? God opens up the Red Sea for the people. There's nowhere to go and they think this is it, we're doomed. But God opens up the sea and they move through. And this is done in a way, again, to where it's the excellence of the power maybe of God and out of us. Nobody could walk through there and tell the story later on and say, well, you know what? We were in a real jam. We were in a real pickle, but you know what? I just thought, I'm gonna part these waters, man. I'm gonna tap on these waters. I'm gonna tell who's boss. And I'm just gonna move through. Nobody could take the credit for themselves. In this kind of deliverance for the whole army going through, or sorry, the whole nation going through and the waters closing up on the army of Pharaoh and all killing them. I mean, nobody can take credit for that. Only God can do it. And God did it in this way, again, to show his power. He brought them to the end of themselves to bring them to the beginning of God. See, when the world says no way, we get to say Yahweh. <laughs> yeah, there's a way out of this. It's found in the living God who is on our side, Amen. who fights our battles for us. When we might be at the end of our rope, we're never at the end of hope. We need to turn to the Lord and trust him and know that even when we might feel perplexed, don't be in despair. Don't fear and panic and try to dig your way out of it. See what God's gonna do. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Thirdly, Paul says what? We're persecuted. Man, that's the idea of pursuing after. In other words, Paul experienced people that were pursuing after him, looking to hunt him down. I mean, he was a wanted guy. He was once the pursuer, persecuting the church, thinking they were enemies of God. But when he gave his life to Jesus, suddenly he became the enemy and people were out to take him down. And he was hunted. He knew what that was like to have the enemy breathing on his neck. And yet, what does he say? Yet we're not forsaken. I've not experienced being forsaken in any of these things nor would he ever be because he knew God was on his side and would never abandon him he knew that God whatever Paul was going through God was allowing for a reason but it was never because God abandoned him or forsaked him God was on his form Paul lived out Psalm 118 verse 6 which says the Lord is on my side I will not fear what can man do to me that's how Paul lived his life he's like oh, psh, oh man I got enemies let me tell you it's growing by the day I've got enemies, but what can man do to me? Because the Lord is on my side. I don't need to fear. Though I might be persecuted, I'm not forsaken. Lastly, Paul says, oh, I might be struck down. And 
That's the idea of literally being struck down. Paul's not using this metaphorically. Paul's not saying, oh, you know, there might be times where we might kind of feel like, no, he was literally struck down. I mean, he was stoned. People took up stones to kill him and he was dragged out of the city of Lystra. Acts chapter 14, verse 19 tells us, dragged out of the city and left for dead. They thought they had taken his life and they left him for dead. He was literally struck down. He's experienced a physical assault and attempts to take his life. But what does Paul say? Guess what? I'm still here, guys. I'm not destroyed. Oh man, I might show the marks of the ministry, but I'm not destroyed. God has raised me up every time. And God raised him up from that street. And what did he do? He's stoned, left for dead, gets up, goes, okay, guess I'll go to the next town and just keep doing what I'm doing. That got me struck down in the first place. How many of us would do that? Just keeps preaching the gospel because he knew this was the treasure he had within that he didn't want to contain it for himself. He wanted to pass it on to others. He's seen God preserve him, raise him up so Paul could continue to share this great good news and do so now with even greater power. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul's numerous escapes from defeat and death were signs of Christ's power at work in him. Matthew Henry says, whatever condition the children of God may be in, in this world, they have a but not to comfort themselves with. A but not, or here we see, notice this, yet not. We got the but not there, but not. Again, here's the transition, these paradoxical principles. You might feel this way, but here's the reality in Christ. You might experience these things, but here's what God is actually doing but nots to comfort ourselves with. Hughes says to be at the end of man's resources is not to be at the end of God's resources. On the contrary, it is to be precisely in the position best suited to prove and benefit from them and to experience the surplus of the power of God breaking through and resolving the human dilemma. Maybe you've had challenges in your life and you've been through the struggles and you felt you know, hard pressed perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Maybe these are things that you've been dealing with in your own life, going through sufferings as we gather together, as we do today throughout each of our three services, you know that there are people that are going through adversity and suffering. Yet to each of these seeming setbacks, it only provides an opportunity for the greatness of God to shine through, for the excellence of the power of God to be evident in our lives. It brings us to the end of ourselves to bring us to the beginning of God to say, Lord, I am frail. I'm an earthen vessel. And man, I have been going through the ringer. But that ringer simply squeezes out what's inside of us. So this treasure may all the more become known and seen by the world around us. See, what causes someone to bounce back or keep moving forward in the face of these kinds of struggles. Only the power of God can do that. Only a valuable treasure like the good news of Jesus Christ can motivate someone to keep going in the face of adversity. That's exactly how it plays out in Paul's life. He knew this was worth living for and it was persecutions and, and, and strikes against him allowed that message to be all the more seen and heard than so be it. He would shout out a big amen. That's what he was living for. He's good with it. It's the very reason he's living this life is for Jesus to be seen, 
for the gospel and the good news to go forth from his life. He goes on to say, verse 10, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So here's another paradox that Paul brings up. We're caring about the death of Jesus. In the body, he says, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested. So here's this paradox. You got the dying of the Lord, but then you got the life of Jesus also. We're caring about the death of Jesus, but so the life of Jesus may shine through all the more. See, the Christian life is all about dying first. And that's very paradoxical to the way that the world lives. It's very opposite the way the world, because the world says, no, I'm living to avoid dying. That's why the pharmaceutical companies are, are just, you know, making all the big bucks. Because everybody's looking for the next fix, the latest drug to go, can I preserve my life a little bit longer? Can I hold off dying? But the Christian life says die so that you may truly live. It's not dying physically. It's dying to yourself. That's why Jesus would say in Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. The whole calling for the Christian life is to lay your life down. The moment that you begin to put yourself at the center of your universe, you're getting outside of what God has for us. And you're gonna find very quickly that if your life is revolving around you, you're never gonna be happy. You're never gonna be content. You're never gonna be satisfied because you're gonna quickly realize that there are many forces that are against you that aren't lining up with you being the center of your universe. Not everybody's gonna be in agreement with that. And you're gonna quickly find yourself frustrated, discontent. The way to live in joy and satisfaction and blessedness is to lay down your life as Jesus calls us to do and live for him and for his glory. That's the most satisfied life right there. Paul looks to Jesus and says that he carries in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now that might sound kind of morbid to us as we look at that. What does he mean by that? What Paul is saying is that as he serves the Lord in this glorious ministry, he faces death often, often. But whatever he might endure only allows for the power and life of Jesus to be all the more evident. Because Paul recognizes that the crucifixion leads to the resurrection. You don't have a resurrection apart from the crucifixion. Have we crucified our lives? Have we taken up our cross? To lay our lives down to say, I want to live in that resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Paul is experiencing this incredible resurrection power of Jesus at work in his life that is beyond him and can only now point people closer to Jesus. Both of these verses, as Harris said in his commentary, both of these verses stress the fact that the death and the life of Jesus were simultaneously evident in the apostles' experience. It was not a matter of life after death or even of life through death, but of life in the midst of death. 
Paul's repeated deliverances from death evidenced the resurrecting power of God just as his refusal to despair in the face of danger of death and persistent opposition displayed the resurrection life of Jesus operative in his mortal flesh. Paul would go on to say in, in Philippians 3, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul was willing to be conformed to his death because it's in the suffering, in the fellowship of his suffering that he also is gonna experience the power of his resurrection. That's what Paul's attaining to, that I may know him experientially, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. It says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse nine and 10, yet, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom he trusts that he will still deliver us. Paul says, man, I had the sentence to death. Everything I did, it was just like being reminded, dead man walking. But he says also that we trust in God who raises the dead and who still delivers us that God is faithful and God is still at work in giving us and moving us into that resurrection power. But that resurrection power is not known or experienced until we go through the fellowship of his suffering and the, the crucifixion. And sometimes it's the, the fellowship of the suffering, it's the adversity we face that allows us all the more to recognize the need to just lay ourselves down and live to the glory of God and allow that great treasure to shine forth all the more. See, sharing this gospel is not just about speaking it out. As much as that's important, it's about living it out. And God uses us as earthen vessels to demonstrate the power of this gospel, the hope of glory by how we handle different circumstances of adversity. We can rejoice that persecution or even death is not the end, it simply leads to resurrection and greater glory. Greater glory for God ultimately. So then Paul, as we conclude in this verse here today, so then in verse 12, so then death is working in us, but life in you. Now you might be asking, well, you know, what kind of message does that send when we're sharing the gospel yet living a life that's hard pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, what kind of message does that send when we're, we're sharing this great treasure and yet living this life? Aren't, you imagine going to somebody saying, hey, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and live this life of chaos and uncertainty? Wasn't that, doesn't that just sound just great? That's not a big selling feature right there, is it? But you see, Paul never considered his life to be a life of chaos. He saw it as the natural results of a world that was opposed to Christ. But he saw that in the midst of adversity, God's power shone through all the more. It only allowed God to be seen and that treasure to be reflected and poured out and passed on in even greater ways. To some, Paul says as he did in chapter two, verse 16, to some he's the aroma of death, to others he's the aroma of life. And he knew that whatever trial might be happening in his life, it had the opportunity of working out something far greater in other people. He says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 5 to 6, 4, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds 
through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, notice this, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. Paul says, if I'm going through trial and difficulty, it's for your sakes. It's to lead you to Jesus, to let you see the hope and the power of God at work in us. 2 Timothy 2.10, therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, I'm willing to endure all things if it means that many will come to know Jesus and receive his salvation. I'm willing as an earthen vessel to be poured out so that the contents, this great treasure can be seen and demonstrated and given to others. Paul saw that opportunity to shine forth the life-giving and life-sustaining power of Jesus Christ in whatever trial, suffering, adversity he went through. Paul's clay pot not just concealed the valuable treasure, it was meant to reveal this valuable treasure for others. And may we, as God's earthen vessels, a bunch of crackpots, may we do the same and take every situation, circumstance, whether it be trials and difficulties or blessings and joys, may every opportunity be a occasion to pass on and reveal this great treasure that God, by his grace, has placed in us earthen vessels meant to be poured out, all right? Let's stand together, let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Lord Jesus, as we look to you here today, we are reminded that we're earthen vessels. You don't need polished, perfect vases or pots or vessels to work through. You just need humble servants because it, it takes the focus off of us and it puts it on you, Jesus. The treasure that's contained within us is not of us. It's a view and it's meant to point people to you. And I pray, God, that you would use us to do that. Lord, may we not be bummed out of our frailties and weaknesses. May we see today that you've designed it that way. And yet still, in our weaknesses and frailties, you've placed this glorious treasure within us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The one that redeems, the one that saves and forgives, the one that takes dead people and makes them new gives them life the promise of eternal life thank you lord for that work you've done and the treasure you've given us may we be those surely that pass that on now in every situation every struggle every blessing may we live for the purpose of glorifying you god strengthen us to do that we pray in your name Amen. Listen, if you're here today or listening online and you do not know this great treasure, maybe you've never come into a, a relationship with Jesus or never even knew that you need to do that, I wanted to share with you something real quickly. The Bible says that we're all sinners. That means that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We've broken his law. We, we stand guilty before God. Every one of us was in that boat, but God did something for us. He sent his son in this world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and to remove your guilt, but not just to remove your guilt, but to 
pass on and give you his righteousness so we could stand perfect before God. We're not perfect. We can't earn our salvation, but we can receive it by God's grace. And if you're here today and you've not recognized your sin and your need for salvation, understand today that that's the first step the Bible tells us to take, is to repent, to turn from your sin, but to put your trust in Jesus now and the work he did for you on the cross. He's done it all. He's completed it. There's nothing more you have to do other than turn to him and receive by grace that free gift of salvation and know that when you do, God says you become a child of God and you have the promise now of eternal life that when you die, you spend eternity with him in heaven. What a blessing that is. If you've not received that, I encourage you, take that step today, call out to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and to make you new. Give your life to him and enjoy the great treasure we have in Christ. If you've made that decision or you're watching online and you've made that decision, would you email us? Or if you're here today, come and let us know. Those that will be in the front to pray with you, come and talk to them about it. We'd love to share more with you and pass some goods on to you to just help you in this uh, new life in Christ. Lord bless you guys. Let's pray.